Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. My name is Ryan Cabrera, and I am your co-host, and I am here in Studio Studio B B today, back in Studio B. Um, Decorating Studio C for Hanukkah. That's right. That's right. So we are... Hanukkah extravaganza. So I'm here with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. Hello. I just want everybody to know... Who's here? I'm Ryan. That's right. That's Pastor Nick. That's right. And so uh, we are getting geared up for Hanukkah. So as you guys can see, we have a Hanukkah, not to be mistaken with a menorah. A menorah has seven branches. A Hanukkah has the extra branches on the outside there to celebrate the eight nights. You have your servant candle in the middle, and then you have your eight branches on the sides, one for each night. Amen. So we're excited to celebrate Hanukkah. You know, if I could just get Christians excited about Hanukkah, even if they're only like a quarter as excited as I am about Hanukkah, this is true. It'd be pretty cool because here's what's cool for Christians: even if we say that you know, because everybody knows Hanukkah about the miracle of the oil, everybody talks about the miracle of the oil, but really Hanukkah is a Hebrew word that means dedication. Right. Right. Yeshua was in Solomon's porch when on the feast of dedication, That's and right. it was winter, right? And there he said, "I am the light of the world." And so it's important that we as Christians understand not just the, you know, the miracle, the oil, and the traditional pieces and how people celebrate it, but the, the spiritual, the historical, and the prophetic significance of Hanukkah. You, you might know a little bit about the historical and prophetic significance of Hanukkah. For many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah for a few. I, may, I think like ever since I've been here, every year you preach on the historical significance of Hanukkah for one message and the prophetic significance yeah, of Hanukkah. Because there's so much you have to divide it up. There is. There's I a ton of stuff. I try to get it all in one service, but it's just too much. It is. And so bottom line is this, right? So what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the rededication of the temple after it was defiled. And so on Kislev 25, after they booted out the uh, the Hellenist Greeks. That yeah, were, 167 B.C. it began, the guerrilla warfare and all that. Right. They were trying to assimilate um, to the Jewish people and say, hey, look, Come over. We have philosophy. We have logic and reason, and we have indoor plumbing. Hellenization. You know the Hellenization, the assimilation, Hellenism. and so we still fight the fight against the Greek mindset to this day. That's to right. this day, we as Christians, Hellenism. whether you're in a regular Christian church or you're in Hebrew roots or or whatever, we are still fighting this fight today. The world wants us to do things on their way and on right. their terms, and we are still modern day Maccabees fighting the good fight of faith, following right. the light of the world, Yeshua. That's right. And so I think that uh, it's important for Christians to recognize the significance of this holiday and to embrace it and to celebrate it because um, really, you know, you can th- understand things academically like, oh, that's a neat idea, but it's still up in the cloud somewhere, right? Right. It's not until you actually start participating in it and doing it that it really becomes significant. So if I could encourage our listeners, the people that are watching online or listening to the podcast— I would encourage you, jump in all the way. Get yourself a Hanukkah. Enjoy lighting. You know what I mean? Celebrate for eight nights. You get to, you know, eat fried food like Lockies and donuts and, you know, spin the dreidel and, you know, chocolate gelt. There's all kinds of cool traditions. And we're not going to get into all of that. But I just want you to know that there is a significant spiritual 
meaning behind this that I believe is worth celebrating. Yeah, it's a custom and tradition. So did we check the Hanukkah box? Is that good enough? That's you think? good enough. Okay, I think that's good enough. Here at Beit Tehillah, we are having services for Hanukkah on the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th, all right? So the 12th is our Shabbat service at 11 a.m. We're actually going to spend the whole day on the property, and we're going to culminate the end of the night with a movie under the stars that evening. And so we're going to have an oneg after the service with, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers and all that. Then on the 13th is our regularly scheduled new moon service. We're going to do uh, lockies and games that night, and so we're going to have a lot of fun that night. And then the 14th is our normally scheduled Torah study, and we have a guest speaker, Pastor Gerald Durstein, who's going to be joining us on that Monday night. So Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, 12th, 13th, and 14th, we have services here at Beit Tehillah for Hanukkah. So if you're local, come and join us. If you're online watching, you can you know live stream the service and and all that. Although you might not be able to participate in the festivities, but you could gather people at your home. Yeah. It's and a lot get people of fun. together. It is. So, without further ado, this week we are studying the Torah portion. I know it's a shocker. Every week there's a Torah portion. You know, you said it, right? Was it Pastor, uh, or not Pastor, Rabbi Jeremy Gimpel? Is that what you said you were listening to? Yeah. He was saying, you know, I got to give my all every week to this Torah portion because after this week, guess what? It's over. It's over. It's gone until yep, next week. A new one comes. But here's what's cool. This week, we're talking about Joseph. That's right. So we're going to dive in. This week's uh, Torah portion is called Vayashev, which means, and he settled. Uh, and this is the Torah portion in Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 1, and ending in chapter 40 and verse 23. Very good. So we've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now uh, another main character shows up on the scene, Joseph or Joseph. And he gets 13 you know, chapters, right? Yeah, actually more is written about Joseph than any other person in the book of Genesis. So he's mm-hmm. a very important person. Uh, in Genesis chapter 37, we have, of course, in verses 1 through 11, Joseph has a dream. So uh, how old was Joseph when he was feeding the flock with his brethren? 17. 17 years old. And I think numerically that number means victory, some right. form of victory. So he's 17 when he's feeding the flock with his brethren. And, of course, Joseph brought back an evil report in regard to his brethren, to his father, uh, while he was with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Right. As we reflect back on these children, who were the children of Bilhah and Zilpah? Bil- right? Bilhah so, and Zilpah. So, uh, basically, Dan and Naphtali were from Bilhah, Rachel's maid. Dan and Naphtali. And then, of course, uh, let's see here. Oh, and then, of course, Gad and Asher are from Zilpah, Leah's handmaiden. So once again, it says that um, and one more piece he of was context. with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. So he was with, uh, you know, those, those four brothers. One more piece of context. So if Joseph is 17, um, the other brothers were all born, depending on who you talk to, either within a seven-year or a 14-year span. So the oldest brother was possibly 31 or possibly 24, right? Interesting. And so they were all born, they're all within that, that span. So they're all still young men. Right. Four mothers, one father. So who did Israel love the most, and what did he make for them? Well, Israel loved Joseph. That's right. And he made him a coat. But not just any coat. It was a coat of many colors. Many colors. Or pieces, it says in the Hebrew. Right. So it's kind of reflective of the different ethnic groups or the nations, I would say, as as this story, of course, develops. And uh, just let me... Let me remind everyone 
that it was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah uh, in the birth order. Right. So Reuben, of course, slept with the concubine Bilhah. Right. There's an inappropriate relationship with her. And Jacob wasn't happy with that. No, he was not. And, of course, then he wasn't happy with, of course, Simeon and Levi. For murdering a bunch of people. Because what they did (laughs) as far as, uh, yeah, murdering a whole city of males. Uh, Shechem. So, anyway, uh, now you're left with Judah, who's, of course, going to get the birthright. But... Uh, Joseph is uh, being groomed to be to have the birthright and to be the heir. And Joseph's brothers hated him because their father loved him more than them. It's quite obvious. Yeah, of course. If Jacob loved Rachel, then he's going to love Joseph. So, so Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel, his favorite wife. Right. Gotcha. And so that's going to be his favorite but son. But he's the 11th born. He is. He well, is the, the 11th, 11th born. Or 12th. And Dina was 10th, I think. Dina was 10th. Joseph. Then Joseph, then Benjamin. Well, there's 13 total. So then we did this last week, I think. He's somewhere 11 or 12 in the birth yeah, order, but yeah. he's the 11th son. Right. And so, like I said, uh, if you're a, a sibling and you know that your father doesn't love your mother, yeah, it's a little disheartening, you know. So once again, you got to remember that the Bilhah and Zelpa had the, those those four sons, and they were not really loved. And so Leah's children were not loved. Right. Uh, and so uh, in Joseph's uh, first dream, they were all binding sheaves in the field, uh, and his sheaf stood upright. Joseph's brother's sheaves made obeisance to his sheaf. Uh, so here we have this very interesting uh, dream of sheaves. And, of course, he shares it with his family. Sheaves but, of wheat, so bundles yeah. of wheat. Right. In Joseph's second dream, the sun, moon, and the 11 stars made obeisance to him or bowed down to him. So yeah. he's sharing this dream. He's got this coat. Hey, look at my coat. You know. Right. I had these two dreams. And so uh, Jacob rebuked Joseph after, of course, hearing about the second dream. And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. So this is interesting, right? He's like rubbing it in. Joseph's kind of like rubbing it in. Hey, I had these dreams. You guys were bowing down to me, you know, and he's the little kid. Well, know? and I think that uh, I think that in this context, you've got this little brother who is being favored by the father. And so there's already some, you know, jealousy and some animosity. And then you throw this in there. And now, you know, instead of Joseph staying humble and being likable by his brothers, they're like, yeah, dad likes him. But you know what? He's such a good kid. Instead of that, he's actually poking it in their eye, you know, like, aha, see, dad likes me most, you know, and telling the dream. Or maybe oh, yeah. he was just completely innocent. Well, yeah, I mean, either, way, either, either way, it was a real issue. I like that idea. I like it that was, he was a real innocent. issue. But Jacob sent Joseph to go check on his brethren from Hebron to Shechem. So they're, you know, herders of livestock. And so J- Jacob, uh, Joseph's father, sent him to go check on his brethren from Hebron to Shechem. Now, a certain man found Joseph wandering in the field and told him his brethren were in Dothan. So they took a left turn somewhere along the way. You know, uh, what comes to my mind, Ryan, is that, you know, when you think about the house of Joseph or the or Joseph, right, even people like us, you know, we're really kind of pursuing the Jewish people. Oh, yeah. We're like making connections with them, talking with them, having relationships with them. Yeah. So, like, it's kind of like, you know— um, we, we, we know where our brothers are. It's like our father has sent us to go check on them. Right. So when Joseph's brethren saw him coming, they conspired to slay him. So the envy and the jealousy is so bad, they just want to knock him off. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's actually a conspiracy. Well, and in this case, you got to think that their father is wealthy. And they can see the writing on the wall that, you know, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi have already kind of messed things up. Judah seems to be the have the preeminence at this point, right? Um, but there's no real way of knowing. 
Joseph plays uh, a role in being a threat because he's the firstborn son of the favorite wife. And so they could see Jacob possibly giving the greater inheritance to Joseph, and they don't like this. So now we're literally dealing with, you know, sibling rivalry, some sort of an inheritance issue. This pecking order. Right, but not just emotional. I think that, you know, here we don't really grasp it. They're talking swaths of land and livestock and wealth birthright blessing given to joseph just like abraham and got it from the lord gave it to isaac and isaac gave it right and skipping over all the jacob so they're literally going after hey if i if i off him then he's not there so it's kind of like a rivalry oh absolutely there's definitely a rivalry here uh now it's interesting that it says reuben did not want joseph to be killed but agreed to throw him into a pit so he could bring him back to their father at a later time now Notice they, they conspired to slay him, the brethren, but we don't know who they were. Maybe it was Bilhah and Zilpah's sons. They really had it in for this guy. Cause, well, cause, and first of all, they're handmaidens. We get some clues later on that it might have been Simeon involved, too. Yeah, but I'm just saying that all we know is Reuben didn't want him to die. But he has other brethren. So. Well, and Reuben had already messed up. And so right. it's possible that Reuben was trying to, you know, maybe be in good favor Make with his amends, father. Yeah. Yep. So Joseph's brethren stripped him of his coat of many colors and cast him into a waterless pit. Which is a water that's well, a dry well. That's right. So whose idea was it to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver? Drum roll, please. Judah. Judah. So you've got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah, the fourth son of Leah. Of Leah. And it was Judah's idea to sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, that... Which is uh, better than killing him. Now, we won't have time to Not get into better, it. Not much better. No, but we don't have time to get into it. But Joseph is a type of Messiah, a picture of the Messiah. Uh, here we have, you know, 20 pieces of silver, like, you know. Which would have been the, the amount to pay for yeah. a, a, a slave yeah. at that time. So there was, uh, there was actually um, coinage given to betray Yeshua. Uh, as Joseph was brought into Egypt, Reuben returned to an empty pit and rent his clothes. So Reuben was, was definitely had empathy and, and compassion for his his little brother Joseph. He sure did. But now we're going to get into a conspiracy here. We're going to get into some people that are in cahoots with one another, and they're going to pull something off here. How did Joseph's brothers deceive their father that a wild beast had killed Joseph? So they killed one of the goats, a kid of the goats, and they dipped the coat in the blood of the goat in order to make it seem like it was Joseph's blood. Right. So they took this coat back and they you know showed it to Jacob. Um, so he's been stripped of his coat. Yeah which is a picture of him losing everything. So Jacob's response to Joseph's coat with the blood on it made him rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his loins, and he mourned for his son many, many, many days. Now, he's going to believe his sons. He's yeah. gone. Yeah. He doesn't How could he be alive? have a reason I think they would he just him. He's just in mourning now. Yeah. Now, he's, he's lost Rachel, but he still has Benjamin now. Yeah. So he's going to be really partial to Benjamin sure. you know, this, as this story, of course, develops. So the Midianites, and I put in parentheses, the Ishmaelites, sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Okay, so now we have this story playing out. And, of course, uh, uh, the, the question is for discussion is, why is favoritism found in some families and what can you do about it? You know, I, there's does, a, your, does your dad have a favorite? Oh, it's me all day, you know. It is you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying because because this my, is a real this is a real discussion. You know? No, my parents were my, always my dad was pretty pretty. Uh, I think the more kids you have, the more favoritism can happen, right? Um, because there's some kids that you know might quote unquote slip through the cracks, and I don't think any parent 
uh, nowadays maybe means to do it, or maybe they do. But um, I had, you know, it was just me and my brother for the most part in our house. That was my brother and I. And, um, brother. and Thir- 13 months apart. Our treatment was pretty, pretty. What's equitable. your age difference? Um, about three years, about two years, 11 months. So, um, so he's younger. No, he's older. He's old. I'm the baby. You're the baby. I am. Yeah. Oh, the baby. Babies unite. Oh, man, the baby. So, you know, I want to talk to people that maybe they've experienced the bad end of favoritism, right? And I think that what happens is people, when they experience someone else being the favorite, you get jealous. And what happens is you get emotionally hijacked and you end up doing and saying things that are going to do the opposite of what you want to happen. What you want is you want to get some of that favoritism your way. What you want is you want to endear people to you. But complaining and backbiting and, you know, doing things that, you know, nobody would like. And when the parents die, the ugly comes out. Right. But none of that, none of that is going to endear anybody to you. And so if your goal, you got to stop and think, pull yourself out of the situation. How do I gain favor? Right? Well, if you want friends, what do you have to do? Be friendly. You have to be friendly. Amen. And so, but as far as a parent, though, that's something you might have to live with. I know, but you know what? I don't you, think you can even, just become the favorite. N- but, if, well, my point being maybe accepting maybe it. Maybe you're not, maybe it's because one of your, your siblings is more athletic. You're dealing with it. Or they are good at performing right. or something. You know, there's some reason. So they get a lot of attention right. and a lot of resources from the family because they're doing well in some specific area. Right. right. And like I said, we don't want to live vicariously through our children. You know, all my kids are playing soccer now. Yeah. I never dreamed of playing soccer or wanted to be in soccer, but it's a nice avenue of escape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I to gotcha. watch and just chill out and cheer them on. I, I, I agree. But I'm not going to try to live vicar- vicariously through them. No, but team sports is a good way yeah. of building character and working right. together and, and in a real pragmatic way. But I think that from a favoritism standpoint, the way that you get through favoritism, maybe at work, you have certain employees that are get favoritism. I think this happened between Yeshua, John, and Peter. Ooh. And so anyways, the idea would be that what you want to do is you just want to make a case for why you're better, right? And the way you do that is through... You know, um, expounding on your strengths and not focusing on what everybody else is doing. That's true. And if you can do that, you'll be blessed. That's right. Amen. So this storyline is incredible because we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Esau. And then, of course, now we have Joseph. So we switch gears here. We go right into Genesis chapter 38. uh, And, of course, it's verses 1 through 5. We have the, the story of Judah and Tamar. What a story. Here we go. Yep. It's It's a chick flick all the way. Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite named Hira. Judah had relations with a daughter of a certain Canaanite named Shua and bore him three sons named Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Okay, so Shelah, Onan, and Ur. Okay, so here are these three sons from this Canaanite um, named Shua. Uh, And so what was the name of the woman who Judah took as a wife for his firstborn son, Ur? Tamar. Tamar, right? So Ur, Judah's firstborn son, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So there you go. Onan, Judah's secondborn son, refused to carry on his brother's seed or offspring and spilled his seed on the ground. This displeased the Lord, and he slew him. So the righteous line wasn't looking really good right now. The scepter, the line of the scepter was not looking good. So they're 0 for 2 on this one. So Messiah comes through this somehow? And so it's very interesting. And so Not why, why do we read this? Because, you know, God can do this. Once again, if, if gentlemen that are, that are watching this, 
or listening to this, uh, all the gentlemen, uh, you're not supposed to spill your seed. Right. So that's just a, a rule. Uh, you'll be unclean if you do. Unclean it. So don't spill your seed. Your seed is for a purpose. You can't spill your seed. Uh, so once again, because— and you certainly of, can't shirk your responsibility. Well, that's the thing, too. Not carrying on the family name or the family is kind of selfish, doesn't really serve its purpose. Right. And so God says, well, I'm going to go ahead and take you. Now, how can he do this? Why does he do this? Because he's sovereign. You know, he can, he can, he, well, he and kills think about and he it. makes a lie. Think about the mantle that's on the seed of Judah. Wow. And, and we're just reflecting on this in hindsight. Just So after Judah's wife died and he was comforted, he went up with his sheep shearers to Timnath with Hira the Adulamite. So he's in business with this Adulamite guy, Hira, and uh, he's going to go to Timnath to do the, uh, the sheep shearers. And so when Shelah... Judah's third-born son was grown, and Tamar realized he was not going to be her husband. She played the harlot, hoping Judah would lay with her. Okay. Uh, Tamar knew that Judah was on his way to Timnath, and so she placed herself by the way, covering her face as harlots do. I mean, you ever seen a woman in a burqa? Well, I think it's more like... Like a veil? Like, yeah, like something... Some kind of a scarf or something. But yeah. anyway, so she... she placed herself by the way, covering her face as harlots do. So he's on his way to do the sheep shearing, right? to Timnath, and she's, she's there. So when Judah didn't realize it was his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and wanted to lay with her, what did he offer her when she asked for something in return? He offered her a goat. A kid from the flock. Yep. A kid from the flock. So check this out. So she, she didn't she, care. She was a martyr. You know, she wasn't in it for so, the goat. Something, something's going on here. I'm thinking about this was premeditated on her part. Oh, absolutely. She's got a plan. She sure does. Now, whether God put that plan inside of her or not, she's premeditating this thing. I'll go by the wayside. Hey, he's lonely. He doesn't have a wife because it's not good for a man to be alone. Mm -hmm. And so she sets him up. So what three things did Tamar require is a pledge from Judah until she got her payment. Right. So she, he promises her a goat, but he doesn't have the goat with her. Right. And, and she's or probably him, like... Yeah. You know, I don't think that she's an actual harlot, but she's probably sitting there like I've right. heard we've heard this before, right? Right. So, so in order for him to to be able to bring like a deposit or whatever, uh, he gives her his signet ring, uh, bracelets, and his staff. So two of those can be you know quote unquote traced back to him. They're his That's staff right. and his signet ring, um, you know, which would be very important to him, especially the ring. So he would be coming. Bracelets back for could them. just be the bling bling, right? But, but a he would be coming ring back for that ring. And a staff yeah. would be very important. He's coming back. If he that. had to get anything back, he would want his staff and his signet ring. Absolutely. Probably the signet ring. Absolutely. Then the staff, then the bracelets Agreed. in that order. Yep. So Judah gave her the pledge, laid with her, and she conceived. Which is not what I think he was hoping for. You know, back then they didn't have birth control. Yeah, I don't think that was the plan for him. So you don't know anything, right? No. There's no uh, rhythm method. I have no There's idea. No I don't know what they, you know, they knew things that we don't even know today. So That's I don't true. know what they did. So Tamar then went away, removed her veil, and put on the garments of her widowhood. So she went so back. See, yeah, she went back to her widowhood her normal, garments, you know. Normal self. Uh, you know, interesting. When Judah sent his friend the Adulamite with the kid or the goat, the harlot could not be found. And even the men of the place said, there was no harlot in this place. Interesting. So he's. He was totally set up. She was a ghost. She knew what to do. She knew where to go. She knew the route. She knew everything, premeditated. 
And so what was Judah's response when he found out that Tamar was three months pregnant and accused of being a harlot? So this is his daughter-in-law. So check this out. This is two separate things. This is her daughter-in-law. Think about this. His daughter-in-law. He gets news that his son's former, or his son's wife, right? His daughter-in-law. Right, his daughter-in-law is pregnant. Yeah, like, how could this be? Three months after he slept with a harlot. And he doesn't associate these two together. So he was gets it three months. It says right here, three months. So you're right. Three months. Genesis 38, 24. So he tells her, he, he says, bring her forth and let her be burnt. So he's going to burn her at the stake for being pregnant. Listen, the hypocrisy here can't be missed. All right. It kind of reminds me of when Judah or, or, or Joseph was going to divorce Mary privately. Right. How could this be? We're betrothed and yeah. you're pregnant. Right. I'm going to divorce you privately. What Except a, he was being righteous. He was going to burn the her at the stake publicly. The angel, yeah, the angel had to come to him to say, yeah. hey, this is of God. Right. Because yeah. there's no other way around this. Right, right, the right. immaculate conception. So here's this story. And he's like, all right, you played the harlot. That's kind of being judgmental, though, isn't it? That's like a hypocrite. The ex- that's what I said. The How hypocrisy can he, yeah, can't be it's missed. hypocrisy. How can you get away with it? It's like that woman caught in adultery. Right. Where was the guy? Yeah, listen, all you caught without sin, yeah, go ahead, throw your stones. Yeah, and, and they drop their rocks and he's writing stuff from the, the oldest the sand, to you the know? youngest. Yeah, but th- once again, though, where's the man, see? That's what we do, though. This we want to go after everybody, and then we can't even take care of our own This is business. a big deal, right? As Christians, we want to talk about the sins of the world, right? Homosexuality, abortion, and all these things. But you know what we need to figure out on our end? Divorce. We have to figure out... On our end, and and uh, fornication, sex before marriage, those are things that we have to figure out in our own house, get our That's own right. house in order before we start poking at everyone else in the world. And this is a perfect example right. of the hypocrisy that people hate and get frustrated by. So thirty-eight twenty-four, mm-hmm. bring her forth and let her be burnt. Now, he's making this accusation, but she doesn't know that she's going to be burnt. Now maybe she hears. Well, he the, calls for he calls like a, it's almost like a uh, almost like a council meeting. So this right. all happens in like a public square. Call it, it at must the gate. Be. It, it is. It says right here. It is because whenever they bring her forth in verse twenty five, this is what verse thirty eight twenty five, um, thirty eight twenty four and twenty five. So here, let's just read twenty four and twenty five or twenty three. It says, and Judah said, "Let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her." And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot, and also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth and let her be burnt. When she was brought forth, she was sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are am I with child. And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet and bracelets and staff. She's like, there's the collateral damage. <laughs> and, uh, and then verse 26 is the kicker, right? And so um, it says here in verse 26, And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Shelah my son, and he knew her again no more. So immediately he gets the rebuke you know, in his spirit. He understands he did the wrong thing. And here's the deal. He could have still had her burnt or stoned her or whatever, right? And put this away from him and made this like a family secret, so to speak, and had this blood and this sin upon him and the generations after him. Very interesting. But instead, this is, interestingly enough, a redeeming moment for Judah. Right. Because he confesses the sin and says that she is more righteous 
than I. So he acknowledged that those were his right. three items. Right. So Tamar was carrying twins in her womb. Right. Interesting. Remember Jacob and Esau were twins. Yeah. There's a little bit of a challenge going on here again. One of the children put out their hand and the midwife put a scarlet thread around it only to have his hand pull back into the womb. Okay. As the hand pulled back, his brother came out as the firstborn, and his name was Pharez, which means a breach. Right. So the one that stuck his hand out. Went back in. Went back in. And Pharez came out. Mm -hmm. So the brother who came after with the scarlet thread around his hand was called Zerah, which means sunrise or brightness. So the brother who came after with the scarlet thread around his hand was called Zerah, which means sunrise or brightness. So there's a breach. And then there's the, of course, Zerah, which means sunrise or brightness. Mm -hmm. So the breach comes before the sunrise. Mm -hmm. So there's a breach. And then the sunrise. Very interesting. Mm. It's kind of like, when does joy come in the morning? It, the joy comes in the morning. It comes in the morning. Yeah. So you, the night comes. When the sun breaches the horizon. They call about like night terrors and different things right. and, and different things that would happen when it would be night. So why is the line of Messiah so important for all of mankind as far as is mentioned as part of the genealogy? Um, well, this is what I was mentioning before about, you know, uh, not being doing the righteous thing and spilling the seed, shirking the responsibility. And then Shayla obviously being too young and then, you know, having to take on that responsibility later on, you know, Judah didn't force it on him, so to speak. And so we're talking about the line of Messiah is at stake here. So let's look at Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So right away we identify with this messianic prophecy in Genesis, uh, of course, 3.15 that Satan has seed and so does God. God's seed, the woman's seed, right? right? The Messiah would come through that. So this had to be a, a remedy of some sort in order for this prophecy to take place. You couldn't have Tamar to die because she's carrying a seed, two seeds, as a matter of fact. As we go to Genesis 49, verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That's Yeshua. That's Yeshua that has the scepter. So, I, you know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but this word Zorah, um, in here, it, it has the, the connotation of brightness, right? But it also means seed um, or scatter. So the same... Um, the same, you know, letters, I believe, in Hebrew, if it is, in fact, Strong's 2219, which is Zerah, is seed or winnow or to fan or to scatter. And it's the, it's the seed that gets scattered or whatever. So that's just a, another little piece. It's in so important. And that's why God wants righteous seed. You know, it's kind of scary if, if, if you know, and, and people think this is controversial, but it says Satan has seed in Genesis 315. So yeah, Satan's it does. got a bunch of kids running it says around, it right there. A bunch of hellions. Yeah. Right. So so that's kind of scary. You know, so that's why we want to be the righteous seed uh, going on in this prophecy in, in Numbers 24, 17. It says, I shall see him, but not now I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. 
So a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, a mm-hmm. monarchy, a king. Does anybody see that? So as we look at this genealogy, even my last reference here. It's in is, Matthew 1.3. Yeah, Matthew uh, 1.3. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Thamar. And Perez begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram. So Judah begat Perez. Which means what? A breach. That's right. And then, of course, and Zerah of Thamar. So Zerah means, um, of course, sunrise. uh, Sunrise. Uh, And so, once again, we have an interesting observation here uh, in this storyline. The line of the Messiah is so important because now he's here. And you'll look out throughout history before the Messiah came, uh, Satan was always trying to kill the seed. To kill the seed. Yep. And, you know, God really played a, a, a trick on him, you know. Whenever he did what he did, you know, he thought when he was going to kill Yeshua that, oh, I'm going to finally, I'm going to stamp out the Messiah, right? right? Little did he know, you know, that uh, you knock down this temple and it'll be rebuilt in three days. And it's, it's important that we understand that, that we know that. And, so, yeah. if, and listen, if, if, you know, for those people that have their doubts, I mean, just the fact that I'm sitting here in the year 2020, right, 2,000 years later, talking about Yeshua, <laughs> if... I don't know what other proof you would need other than that, because that's a miracle in and of itself. There, it just is what it is. You know, we're not, we're not just some harebrained thing that this this happens. This this thread throughout history that just you know has continuity. There have been religion upon religion upon religion throughout history that has gone by the wayside, and here we are today having this continuity all the way to you know five thousand years ago, starting with Genesis. You know. It, it, it's a good word. So, so the line of the Messiah is important. It is, and it, it, it's it's come and gone. It's been here, and now we await his second coming. Amen. So, let's get into Genesis chapter thirty-nine. Uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. I'm gonna let Ryan take this over at this point in time, because now we're gonna have another event or circumstance with with Joseph. I love Joseph. Can I just say that again? I love Joseph. I love Leviticus. I know you do. I love Joseph too. Well, Joseph is great. Yeah. So Joseph and Potiphar's wife. So. Uh, did Joseph have favor of the or have the favor of the Lord and prosper in the house of Potiphar, his master? He sure did. He did. Now let's go back to the, the point of Joseph being thrown into that pit. Okay, that was God's plan. Absolutely, that he, that would happen, but he would be spared. But he's not enjoying that process, no but, doubt. But you know, it kind of reminds me of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He's yeah. the prophet of the nations. Most people don't realize that. That he preached for fifty years in Jerusalem and everything. Of course, he had to go down to Egypt, but. Uh, just to make the point that, you know, um, God says that you won't die. You know, they're going to persecute you, yeah. but you're going to live. Right. And he told him, they're not going to kill you. They can't kill you. I won't let them. That's a powerful word. It so, is. So I'm just saying that. Well, imagine so that, what adversities we could face if we knew that God was literally going to save our life. So we would go, like, any obstacle that we see before us, we would be able to go forward and not have the fear because we knew the Lord was going to protect us, that we weren't going to die, that we were going to make it through that. Well, even Paul says, hey, I, I've run the race. I've yeah. done everything the Lord has told me to do. And, and he suffered the, the, you know, the circumstances, the consequences of that, that run. But, but I'll say this, you know, just think about it. You know, if, if the brothers had killed Joseph, then what kind of plan would God have? Because mm. there would be no Ephraim. There would yeah. be no righteous nations. Right. The non-Jews couldn't come in. So this is exciting to see our little part, our sure. little chapter. You know? I agree. Uh, just like I'm, I'm reading this book, you know, it was all about Russia and Vladimir Putin. And I got through all that. Now I'm going to China. You know, it's, it's another chapter. It's another circumstance. Sure. 
So let's continue on with this. So Joseph was a good person, and he was well-favored. Um, Joseph, Joseph was a servant. He, everywhere he went, he served. That's right. And I think that we can all learn a lesson from that because uh, when we can help other people get what they want, people are endeared to us and they want to give us what we want. That's good. Amen? That's good. So Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph to lay with her. And so this is obviously a circumstance that he's going to face. Um, But he knew it was a great wickedness and a sin against God. And Joseph had great respect and honor for Potiphar, his master. Um, Now, keep in mind that Potiphar... Respect and honor. Right. is Is a pagan. And yet Joseph, a Zadik, a righteous man, a Hebrew, a Hebrew, um, had great honor and respect for this man. And so I think that a lot of people out there need to take some notes on respecting people despite their ideology um, and honoring people because of who they are, because God sees people differently than maybe we see them. Um, Potiphar's wife attempted to get Joseph to lay with her day after day, but he denied her every time. So this is a relentless pursuit, this woman. Like a dripping faucet. Gosh, I just... Chinese water torture. You know? Trip, trip, trip. And I don't know what, what uh, Joseph's love life was like at this point, you know? So I can imagine that, you know, this type of temptation is not good for him. Well, just remember that Joseph lost everything. He right. lost his family, his name, his yeah. title, right. any kind of correlation with his past family or whatever. He lost everything. He's at ground zero. And yet, in, in uh, verses 7 through 9, it says that he knew that it was a great wickedness and a sin against God. Right. And so this, he, you know, he was giving his honor and respect to Potiphar as well, because Potiphar was his master. But he was, you know, first concerned with his status with God, which we all should be concerned first with our status with God. Amen. And so when nobody was in the house but Joseph and Potiphar's wife, she grabbed his garment, saying, "Lie with me." Joseph left his garment in her hand and fled. Now listen, this is good advice because what does it say? It says, "Resist or uh, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." Right. So what? Did, and then it also talked about Paul talks about uh, running from sexual immorality, running from those temptations. And so what did Joseph do? He ran. He did the right thing. You know, the thought just crossed my mind about, you know, being premeditated. Yeah. So this is premeditated, but in a wicked way. Well, she embarrassed. In a him, bad or way. She's embarrassed. It's by premeditated this. in yeah. a bad way. Now Tamar had a. She premeditated. Yeah. What she was going to do and what her intentions but were. She was more righteous than Jesus. But I think it was to carry on the family name and the Amen. seed, and she, she wanted to bear a child. Correct. Under Judah. Right. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. But see, once again, it's premeditated, but that's why those, those people that, you know, wait, you know, in, in the shadows to murder and kill and pillage and do things. Yeah. Premeditated to Not bring good. harm. We need to pray against that. Amen. That God would expose that enemy for us so that we would not be harmed. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so, so this happens. So he left his, he lost his garment again. Yeah. She's pretty wroth at this point because, um, you know, he's denied her all these times, but now I think there was the type of opportunity where she may have really gotten her hopes up. They were alone. It says nobody else was in the house. So she's expecting this time that she's going to be able to get him to relent. Why don't you read, uh, verses, uh, let's read, uh, Genesis 39 verses 16 through 20. And just see what we can dig out of this to, to kind of go over together. All right, let's do let's, it. Let's do that. All right, so. Closing it out here. All right, I'm going to start with 15. And it says, and, and it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, and he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment 
by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And, uh, and it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. Stop right there. Deception. Right. She lied. Bold they showed lie. the blood-soaked coat for Joseph yeah. to the father, and it was a lie. Yep. She's doing the same thing. Look, I can prove it. I have his garment. Yeah. False accusations. Well, it's his coat again, right. And, you know, this word mock— um, this and it says the Hebrew servant. Right, yeah. So she knows who he is. He's yeah. a Hebrew. Yeah. How did she figure that out? Uh, probably because she was after him. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just wondering. She says, the Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. So he, there was a distinction there that he was mm-hmm. a Hebrew. You know, this same... That's the second time that word is used it, after that's Abraham. The word mock, right? No, I'm talking about Hebrew. Oh, God, I got it, got it, got it. Hebrew. The, the, the Hebrew, yeah. So it means to cross over. Correct. Right. Um, this word mock, this is also, I don't know how many other times it's used in the Bible, but this is definitely uh, a second iteration of it. The same word in Hebrew was used when uh, Ishmael, um, and with Ishmael and Isaac, because it says that Sarah saw Ishmael trying to mock Isaac, right? right. And so this is this is an inappropriate right. relation, which is why... You know, people thought maybe Ishmael was just making fun of Isaac, but this is kind of trying to say that he was doing something inappropriate and that she was really livid. Not happy about it. Not happy. Once again, trying to taint the seed. Right. So um, starting back in verse 19, it says, And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. That means he was mad. He was not happy. He was furious. Yep. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. You know he got away with he got away with this. Why wouldn't he be killed? I, I wanna, think Pharaoh knew. Potiphar, this, you mean. I mean Potiphar. I think Potiphar suspected that he's like my wife's a little loosey goosey, maybe that she was lying or was not telling the whole truth. And I believe that because of that, he didn't want to kill him because I think also Joseph had endeared himself so much. Right. You have two things, right? He's but sus- he had to do something. He's suspicious of his, yeah. well, to save his own honor. Yeah, right? Potiphar had to do something. He had to at least get Joseph out of his house, and this is the way that he was able to do it. So um, That's why another thing, too, as a male, we got to be careful that we're not alone with the opposite sex. It's funny that you, you mentioned that. I'm just saying that. You know, Billy Graham's ministry. Uh, came up with a manifesto. Uh, I forget what it's called. It's the, the starts with an M, something manifesto, based on the place they met. But you had all these ministers that got together because their ministries were growing. And they, and they said, okay, what are the two or three things that every large ministry gets taken down by? It's cooking the books, you know, meaning embezzlement, taking money, right? It's fudging the numbers, saying there were more people than there were, right? And it's women. So these big ministers, they get down by money and women. Those are the two things that take them down. And so what they did is they came up with a manifesto for accountability from a financial standpoint. Right. And accountability from a, um, or in a relational standpoint. So Mike Pence follows this manifesto. He's committed to it. Um, and it's funny because people make fun of him because he won't meet alone with another with a woman without his either his wife there or other witness people right. there to support Absolutely. what happened. 
But let me just say that that's really good policy for a powerful man, especially in a high government right. role like that, because people can say whatever they want and then you're ruined. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. That's just true. the accusation or the appearance, the appearance of, of impropriety right. um, is enough. And that's that's this good. Joseph, just by the appearance of impropriety, ended up in prison. But he's passing all the tests. He is. Why? Because he's going to go from the pit to the palace. To the palace. That's right. So uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Everywhere Joseph goes, the people love him. Everywhere he goes, except for his brothers. <laughs> you know, he can't escape the fact that he's going into a pit. No. He's going to be sold. And Potiphar's wife is going to come on to him he, yeah. to lead him to the dungeon. Right. Because this whole thing's playing out. Because this is where we get into, of course, uh, in Genesis chapter 40, uh, Joseph interprets dreams as the caption. So, so who were the two people that Pharaoh got angry with and threw into prison? It was the chief butler, or the cupbearer, and the chief baker. You know, he's not just the guy that answers the door. That's what we think of a butler. No, but the cupbearer drinks the cup right, right before the king to make sure so it's not he poison. Is, he is a cupbearer. So while the butler and the baker were in prison, they both dreamed different dreams the same night. Okay? The butler and the baker were sad about their dreams because there was no one to interpret them. But Joseph told them that the interpretations belong to God. Mm -hmm. So once again... You know, we got to be careful uh, sharing your dreams with people. Yeah. God has to give you the interpretation. Yeah. So this is where uh, Joseph really comes in. I love this. He says here, uh, and they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So they're like, we have these dreams. We don't know what to make of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. So he had the gift of dream interpretation in a good context, in a good way. He could interpret the dream because God was telling him that. Okay, so so anyway, uh, what was the end result for the butler and the baker after Joseph interpreted their dreams? Uh, well, for one, it went really well. For the other, it didn't. Uh, the butler was fully restored to serve Pharaoh after three days, but the baker would be hung on a tree and the birds would eat his flesh after three days. You know, I love pastries, but I don't think I would kill my pastry chef. If something's half baked or wasn't really that or burnt good, or the cake fell. Yeah. I know, I'd, give <laughs> the cake. I'd give him another shot. You know, I'm just saying that I love pastries. Yeah. Like a che nice cheese Danish or something. Yeah. But but what I'm saying is that while the cupbearer was really an important person. Yes. And somehow he got, you know, you know, really um, he got upset with that cupbearer. You know, maybe, maybe he actually drank from a cup that he didn't that could have killed him. Oh, maybe. He missed the cup or something or drank from the wrong cup or somebody slipped something by him or something, and he wasn't real happy about that. So maybe he just wanted to give him another chance. Now, the, the baker, I don't, know, I don't know what he could have done. Yep. We, we don't know. Think about this. That's tough, though. Man. Just think about the existence of a cupbearer means that somewhere in history, people used to poison the kings. And that was a way that they would topple them you know, off oh, yeah. their throne. It's ruthless. It's pretty bad. It's ruthless. So, so did Joseph ask the chief butler to mention him to Pharaoh in order to get out of prison? He did. Remember yes. me, remember me, you know. And, and by the way, you know, you can actually look at the scriptures up. Let scriptures in, interpret the scriptures or scripture to scripture. But uh, it scripture, says scripture, that, scripture, yeah, scripture? he was actually in, uh, in, in the scriptures. No, Joseph had uh, shackles on his feet. There's a reference to Joseph being yeah. in shackles. Yeah. So not only was he actually in prison and in shackles, but if you look at an Egyptian prison, it's a dungeon. Yeah, not good. There's no light. 
That's just nuts. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you go back and study the culture in that time period, archaeology or whatever. Uh, so did the butler remember Joseph when he got out of prison? Nope. He didn't. Nope. And we're going to see in the next Torah yeah. portion that two years go by. Right. You know, uh, it was interesting, you know, um, I was I was at the box plant, you know, and I'm like, gosh, am I ever going to get out of this box plant? Lord, I mean, I got to do something. I mean, you know. Uh, I feel boxed in. You know, I was the worship leader and everything, but I'm like, don't put know, me in a box. Lord. And I wasn't, I wasn't really, I wasn't concerned about what I was going to do, but, but I, I wanted to know, you know, you're having trouble thinking outside the box. What's going? Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't put God in the box, but I was literally at a box plant in charge of all the printing that goes in the boxes. But I bring up this story because I remember I was washing these dyes. They go around the cylinder and they catch ink. Oh, okay, and you gotcha, put them yeah. in there and you wash them. Yeah, and you hang them up and they dry and you put them, you file them away. Yep. So uh, I, I'll never forget. I was like, am I ever going to get out of here? You know. And, and I felt like, you know, the, the Lord was really ministering to me through the Holy Spirit. And he kind of says, well, you know, how long did it take, you know, uh, Joseph to get out of the prison? Yeah. And I said, two years. Two years. So two years later, I left the box plant. It was just bizarre, you know. I had to do some more time. Yeah. And so I thought that was interesting. Uh, and, of course, the question is, Joseph uh, was a dreamer and an interpreter of dreams. What's your dream, Ryan? Man. My, What's your dream? My dream, uh, when I look at it from the big scale, right, I want to I wanna participate and play a big role in the restoration and the regathering of the whole house of Israel. That's my dream. Well, here we are together. Look at that. You know, I'm living the dream. You I'm know, li- when I go through the checkout line, how you doing? <laughs> how, how's it going? I said, oh, man, I'm living the dream. That's right. And it's so funny, the, the, the cashier and people would be like, oh, man, can I go with you? Yeah. I said, come on, you know, but it's so true. You watch people go through the checkout. They're all frustrated. Yeah. The cashier looks miserable and you just, just bust a move. You just bust one out. Like, you know, Yeah. they're like, really? Oh yeah. You know, it's like my son leading people to the Lord. You know, it's just life changing. I you know. know it is. Why be just, you know, so complacent uh. and like no passion. Like we're so blessed. Yep. You know, I was telling my girls as we were driving, I was driving them to school. I said, you know, we're so thankful we could just be getting the we could just get in the car and just be thankful for all the things look i'm thankful for this truck yeah i'm thankful for you girls i'm thankful for this school i'm thankful you know for all these he just goes on and on and on you know thankful for heat we have a lot to be vehicle. thankful for we, we do so my dad has a quote here and i loved it he shared it with me when i was younger and my dad said to me you know you take away a man's dreams and he has nothing I agree with that. So the restoration we got in the whole house of Israel is really a good dream. Also, to build a strong community and to raise up the next generation Hallelujah. is so cool. You know, with our families, you know, I'm just, you know, one son away from being a grandfather and then having three generations, counting wow. me and my son and then his future children. That's right. So I'm thinking, how really, how close are we? So in closing here... What two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion, Vayeshev, and he settled from a consensus of Ryan? What do you have? So my first one is just, you know, the I was talking about this last night at our, our Torah study. You know, Paul talks about how these accounts, these records are here, and they're written down for us at the manner that they're written down for our examples. And I look at all the characters, and, you know, all through the Torah and then, you know, the accounts in the Old Testament and the prophets— a lot of examples of what not to do. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, just really helps me trust the Bible is the accounts of what not to do. But I look at Joseph and, you know, I wrote a couple notes down here. Um, Joseph is a great example to follow. Um, we can look at him, you know, he's considered the suffering servant. Um, but I want to 
highlight the servant part more than I want to highlight the suffering part. Because in the end, God elevates him. And he ends up, you know, at the end of his life and all through his latter years. Being so he had a lot to learn, like Jacob. Jacob was in the tent. Right. Like a mama's boy kind of thing. But everything God did, he pre- was preparing him for that point. Right? He was so, preparing So him. But here's what I wrote. I, uh, Joseph resisted temptation. He overcame multiple adversities. He trusted God completely. He was a pillar of faith. He had good leadership skills. Um, and he was humble. And no doubt he was humbled by God. Right. I mean, I think, you know, spending the better part of 13 years of your life from 17 to 30 before you can really make it somewhere. But when he made it, boy, did he make it, you know. Um, so I just I look at him as just such a good example for us to follow, even because we all face adversity. And maybe our adversities aren't going to be thrown into a pit or betrayed by our family, but maybe it is. And it's extreme examples of the adversity that he went through. But praise God, he overcame them because God had a plan for his life. And everyone who is listening to the sound of my voice, God has a plan for their life. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. Really? And if we stay in his will and we're obedient and we're serving and we're doing the things that God has called us to do, guess what? He's going to bring us through. And we're going to receive, whether in this life or the next, our just reward for that's true. What we do. Because without faith, it's, it's impossible to please him. You know, I was just thinking about God's plan and how it, it really encourages me this particular story that all these people coming out of the nations that just love the Jewish people that are not Jewish. Right. I think it's a, a phenomenon. It's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I was I was with some of my pastor friends, you know, and I said, how do you guys explain that all over the world, God's writing Torah on minds and hearts? to the non-Jews, and now they're, they're practicing the Hebrews of the Christian faith and doing shows. How do you guys explain this? You know, and, and, and one of my friends said, it's got to be the Holy Spirit that does it. You know, I, I have a thought here, just really one, not two things, but the one thing I would like to say is this, for all of us that are living at this time on this earth with these situations and circumstances with COVID-19 and all the sickness and everything that's going on, all the... A worldwide pandemic. I, I have this to say. Only one thing. If God brings you to it, he will bring you through. Hallelujah. It. You know, so I look back last March, you know, and by the way, you know, our, our child was conceived before the lockdown. So I don't want anybody getting any. Kind I thought of you were going to name her Quarantina. No, because she wasn't <laughs> conceived. She, I uh, she was conceived when we were free. Yeah. Amen. So I'm just just to clarify. Esther that. the musical baby. Oh, look, baby. you were quarantined and you had a baby. Yeah. Oh, how nice. No. I'm a free man, yeah. okay, and it came before the quarantine. I'm surprised you didn't So if God brings perm. you to it, he will bring you through it, you know. And so we got to keep that in mind as as we develop this, this storyline and this incredible time that we're living in, you know. Uh, get rid of the voices, you know. Shut the TV off, you know. Quit listening to music. Just get alone with God and just listen. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Yeah, amen. Amen. I agree with that. You know, um, Take this to heart, study this, um, get into this. You know, the next few Torah portions, we're going to get into some of the prophetic significance of these Torah portions more so than we do a lot of times. Um, you know, there's some pieces. It's the family tree. Right. There's some pieces of this story that are foundational for, for what we believe about who we are and our identity and, and where we go from here, how we go forward, and how we associate with others. And so I think it's important for us to take all that into account. Um, but I'm just so thankful to God that we are sitting here and we get the revelation that the Torah is relevant for today. 
and that we are Christians, that we have the testimony of Yeshua, and we have the Torah. And there just can't be enough said for that, right? I mean, imagine being born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and having the Torah. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. You know, like how awesome is that? I'm telling you, why don't you close this out in prayer? All right, praise you, God. Thank, Thank you, you so much for just what you've done for us Thank you for bringing us to this, God. Happy Hanukkah to you, Lord. We just thank you. We want to be dedicated to you, to your purposes, to your will, to what you would have us do, God. We want you to write our story for us. We want to give you the pen and say, Lord, write our story so that we might be counted among the righteous, God, that said, enough of my will, not my will, but your will be done, God. And so that's our prayer today, God, just as Joseph was going through adversity, God, that we know you'll bring us through anything as long as we stick close to you, God. And so we love you, and we thank you for everything in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you, guys. You guys know how to reach out to me. You guys can comment on any of our social media, any of our stuff on YouTube. Um, I try to get to that stuff right away when it comes through. You can email me at ryan at dupraise.net. If you need anything from the office, 813-654-2222. We love you. We thank you. Have a great week.